All right. Good morning, everybody. Again. <clears throat> Still feel like I'm in school. All right. If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Proverbs 22. So Proverbs 22, I just wanted to pick out one scripture here. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is a talk kind of about raising children, but not about raising children. Because I look around this room and a talk about raising children is probably not that relevant to a lot of people in this room. But it's actually relevant to all of us because while most of us here might not have responsibilities for raising natural children anymore, we're all children ourselves. We're children of the living God and we are being raised by God. And while God has given us as as natural people this instruction to, to teach our children the right way to behave and the right way to do about things... He's also implementing this instruction himself in our life. He's training us up in the way that he wants us to go so that when we're old, we won't depart from it. And (coughs) what got me thinking about this topic of of training children and and raising up children was um, just before Christmas, we got ourselves a new sheepdog pup. And And so the last couple of months, been starting to work with him, trying to teach him how to be a a respectable animal Um, and it it occurred to me that there's a lot of similarities between you know training a dog and and training young children and there's a lot of similarities between both of those things about how God deals with us and so this talk was kind of inspired by Tom who's the sheepdog Um, just jump over to Proverbs chapter 30 I just wanted to have a look at another scripture here for you so I want to have a look at some thoughts today about, one, how God goes about wanting to, to train us and teach us. And, and as we walk in the Lord, um, as in many things, there's this dual aspect to, to this idea of, of training in that at the same time as we're being trained by God, there's also an expectation on us to help train other people in the fellowship, to help impart knowledge to other people and to help encourage them to be to to behave in the way that god wants them to behave in in some cases where the sheep and the sheepdog at the same time if you like or where the, the the child being trained and in some aspects the parent doing the training at the same time and here proverbs 30 i just wanted to pick out one verse here as well in verse 17 it says the eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. And there's many things in the Old Testament. It's quite a straightforward, slightly brutal description of things. Um, but obviously there's a, there's a spiritual um, you know, aspect to this as well, that uh, there is a need to respect your father and your mother in a natural sense because they're trying to you know, hopefully train you in good things and to teach you um, how to go about things. And in a spiritual sense... You know, we need to listen to our Father as well. And I was thinking about this scripture and thinking, well, it's obvious that 
you know, in this in, in the spiritual aspect of this scripture, that God is our Father. That's the role that He's chosen to give Himself, and the, and the 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 example that He's chosen to be for us is as our heavenly Father, because it was a choice for God. He could have decided that He God was going to be to seen as our heavenly Mother as well, because God is neither male or female. We see that in the New Testament where Jesus was. Um, talking to the scribes and Pharisees and they tried to trick him up with the the story of the lady who'd been married seven times and wanted to know who she would be married to um, in heaven. And he pointed out that, well, in heaven there is no male and female. There's no marriage because there's no male and female because male and female was a, a design that was required for natural life down here to produce children. But in God's kingdom, there's neither male nor female. There's just spiritual beings. So God chose to present himself to us as our heavenly father so then the question would be then who's our mother and i don't have a scripture to back this up but i was thinking about this and and really the role of a mother for us spiritually is the fellowship it's the fellowship is the where we get our nurturing and where we get our you know you know that those kind of our more natural needs met as we walk in the spirit so to go back to the scripture, it says that if we, if we mock at our father, you know, it's not going to be a good outcome for us, and that's obvious. But if we despise to obey our mother, if we, if we don't work with the fellowship to access the good things the fellowship's got for us, then our outcome is going to be pretty poor as well. And so as members of the fellowship, we have a role to, to nurture and to train um, you know, our brothers and sisters at the same time as being trained by God and the fellowship itself. Um, we'll go to John chapter 10. The other thing that kind of, whilst going through this process of starting to train my new sheepdog, we also started watching um, a Mustard Dogs show on ABC, if anybody's seen that. I tried to get Tom to watch it as well so he could pick up some tips. Um, but it's mostly Gizmo, the pug, that's more interested in it. He just likes barking at the other dogs on the TV. Um, and it's interesting looking at that show where, um, no, they talk about how normally to train a sheepdog, it's, a th- it's about a three-year process. And I was thinking that's, that's kind of probably a good yardstick for what it's like in the Lord as well. You come along, you get spirit-filled. Within three years, you should have a pretty good handle on how to do things you should be able to help others you should be you know you you should really know the ropes by then and if you if you haven't something's probably not right and in this mustard dog show they try to to go through this process rather than in three years to do it in one year and i think well it's possible but it requires a awful lot more work and a lot more time invested and really as we walk in the lord that's what it comes down to. We can take a long time to learn the lessons or we can invest more time and effort with our father who's training us and we can learn things quicker. And so one of the first things that they, you need to teach a, a, a child or to teach a sheepdog is who you are and who they are. They need to learn their name and to respond to their name. And while we don't specifically go, oh, I need to teach my kid that his name's or Bailey or Macy in my kids' case, or um, Olive or Humphrey up the back there. I don't think any of us as parents are like, oh, today I'm going to teach my kid that this is their name. But we do it by just using their name. We do it over and over again. And the same with a, you know, with a pet. You use their name over and over again because you've chosen a name for them. They don't necessarily know what it was. 
but they learn to respond to that name. And John chapter 10 here, it talks about this as well. It says, Jesus answered them, it says, I told you when you believed not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believed not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so one of the key things here that Jesus says is that my sheep will hear my voice. And when we, with our children, we use their name a lot because we want them to respond to it. We want to respond to our voice when we call them. Because obviously if, you, if your child's going somewhere that's dangerous, you want to call out to them in their name and you want them to stop and to turn and to then, you know, so you can give them some instruction to come away from there. Or like with a sheepdog, you want to be able to call its name and it turns and it looks at you ready to get that next command about what it needs to do in the paddock. And God wants this from us as well. He wants us to be attentive to his voice. And to do that, we need to develop a bond with God. And if anyone's seen that mustard dog show, they talk a lot about the bond that needs to develop between a sheepdog and the trainer and, the, and its handler so that, that that dog is always listening for its, its handler's voice and is ready to respond to it. And we need to be the same with God, always listening for God's voice and ready to respond when it's there. And so there is the only way to develop that bond is to spend time together. And you know, I've been doing that with Tom. He's the last eight weeks, he's basically gone with me everywhere. You know, he, he didn't really like it at first when I shoved him in the tractor and he had to find somewhere to sit that, you know, wasn't in the way because if anyone knows tractors, there's lots of levers and pedals and things and there's not a nice comfy spot for a dog to sit. But he, you know, he started off by trying to sit under the seat, which didn't work whenever I sat on it. Um, but he figured it out. And so, and now it's been a couple of months that, you know, he's been coming with me everywhere I go and I can call out his name and he stops and he turns and he pricks his ears up and he's ready to, to hear what I've got to say. And then he hears it and he ignores what I say and he just takes off and does whatever he was wanting to do. But we're working on that other bit. And that's where we need to be with the Lord, not ignoring what he says and taking off and doing our own thing, but always ready to hear the Lord's voice. Um, let's go to James chapter 1. And that is a critical part of, of how, one of the ways that God is, is training us, that he, he needs us to be attentive to him because he's always looking to prompt us through the Spirit to do his work. And it's so easy to be distracted by it because there are so many distractions. And I think about it in my own life, the number of times where I've been busy going about something in my day and then I interact with somebody and there was a great opportunity to witness, but I was so focused on getting the things done that I needed to get done that I let that opportunity go past. And you kick yourself later on. But that, that voice was there from the Lord going, get in there and, and get some work done. So we need to be, and thankfully there's no condemnation, but we need to be attentive to that voice that the Lord's got for us. So James chapter 1, verse 22, says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. 
for he beholds himself and goes his way and straight away forgets what manner of man he is. Um, verse 25, but whoso looking into the perfect law of liberty and continuing therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And this is what God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be a forgetful hearer. Because quite often we can be really good at, you know, you, you come to a meeting, you hear the gifts, you hear the word preached, um, you know, and you, the Lord has all these good things to say to us. And then we go about our lives and things get busy and we forget what the Lord has said. And he's been prompting us to, to change things that we're doing. And so we come back to the next meeting and we'll hear a very similar gift or a similar talk because he's having to, you know, like you do with children, you have to tell them the same thing over and over again because there's a lot of interesting things going around and a lot of distractions. And so we should be doing our best to not be distracted but to be really focused in on what the Lord's got to say to us and then taking that in and making sure that we implement it if there's change that's needed in our life or there's things that we need to do a bit differently. Um, let's go to 1 Samuel 15. I wanted to look at a, a story from the Old Testament. I'm sure most of you can probably guess what story I'm going to. 1 Samuel 15, about listening to the Lord's instruction. Because with, when you're dealing with children, children have this really strong desire to please their parents. You see it with, you know, that with kids you know, are making something, they want to come and show it to you because they want you to be pleased with it. If they've, you know, if they've made an effort to follow an instruction, they want you to see it because they want to get that, that feedback from you. Same with a sheepdog. Now, if Tom goes and finds a rotten old sheep bone, he'll bring it over to me because he wants me to praise him and, you know, I don't know, have a nibble on it or something and, and tell him how good a dog he's been for bringing me something rotten. Um, and we, can be, we, we should be like that in the Lord. We're wanting to please God. Clearly, that's why we're here. That's why we're continuing to walk in the Lord, why we haven't just gone, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And there's a lot of people in the world who want to please God, but they're not always doing what God wants in order to please God. And this story in 1 Samuel 15 is a story of exactly that. There's a bit of reading to be had here, so we'll get started in verse 1. It says, And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up to, from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep, camel and ass. The Lord gathered the people, and then Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tel Aim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said, Unto the Kenites, go, depart, get out, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness for all the children of Israel when you came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comes to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. 
But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repents me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Paul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou unto the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meanest this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. Notice it's they. It's not me anymore, it's they. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anoints thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the kings, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected thee from being king." And a story that I'm sure we've, we've probably heard referenced in many talks over the years, a great example of how when you don't listen very closely to what the Lord's commandments are, but instead do something that you think is going to please God, it doesn't work. And it's interesting here in verse 20, because after all that Samuel had said to Saul, he still didn't get it. So in verse 20 it says, And Samuel, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone... And have gone the way the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Whereas if you go back to the start of the chapter, what was the instruction? In verse 3 it says, Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. There was no instruction to bring the king back. But Saul was still convinced in his own mind that I've done the right thing, I brought the king back. That was what God wanted. But it was because Saul wasn't properly listening. He wasn't listening to instruction, and instead he replaced God's instruction what he, with what he thought was right. And it's so easy to do, and we see it all throughout um, you know, Christianity and Pentecostal churches, people that are not following the Lord's commandment, but think they're pleasing God. And the scriptures talk about it. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus said that you know, when he returns, these people will say, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And he'll say, look, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't follow my instructions. You weren't actually listening. You just do what you thought looked good and would please me. And we need to be so careful of that as we walk in the Lord. And as God is training us as his children, you know, the number of times I'm sure that all of us have done something that we thought was right 
but it wasn't. And the Lord's patient with us. He corrects us. He you know, he's, gets us back on track, waits for the next time we're going to mess up, corrects us again. But it's so important that we continue to, to come back to the word, to come back to praying in the spirit, to seeking that uh, instruction from the Lord about the, to make sure that we continue to do exactly what he wants and not just something that we think looks good. In Mark chapter 7, we won't go there for time, but Mark 7 verse 6, Jesus spoke about he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees and he, you know, he said to them, look, you've, you've taken the, the commandments of God and replaced them with the traditions of men. And you, you, know, you get nowhere by doing that. And we need to be careful as a fellowship as well that we don't get in, fall into the trap of having things that are done in a particular way that has become a tradition in our fellowship and thinking that that's something that pleases God. Where in reality, it was just at some time in the past, someone had to make a decision about, okay, we've got to do something a certain way, so we'll do it this way. And that gets ingrained as a tradition and people start to think that it has to be done that way to please God. But is there a scriptural commandment? Possibly not for a lot of things. So we need to make sure that we know where the scriptural commandments are and where they aren't so that we make sure that we please God and don't become lawish about things as well. And again, this is all part about forming that really close bond with God so that we're constantly attentive to his voice. When we hear his voice, we respond to it. So that, you know, like when your children, if they're going some, if they're heading into danger and you call out stop, that they stop because you want them to respond in that way. And the Lord's calling out to us at times, stop, stop, you're going the wrong way. And we're blissfully sometimes just ignoring that because we're going, no, I need to bring the king back. You told me to bring the king back, but you didn't. We need to make sure we don't make that mistake or make it as least as we can because we will tend to keep making it. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So one of the other big things that as a parent, when you raise your children, you know, you want to, you, obviously you teach them to listen to you, you teach them to follow your instruction, but then you're also trying to teach them to make good decisions for themselves. You're teaching them to be safe, to, to be able to look at situations and assess risk and, and to you know, make decisions that will keep themselves safe. And that's one of the, the things that you spend an awful lot of time, particularly with younger children, teaching them. You teach them that the stove is hot. You teach them that you know, that dog that you're walking past as you're walking down the street that's barking at the fence doesn't want to be your friend, it wants to bite your hand off, those sorts of things. And so... God is doing the same thing with us as he's raising his children. He's trying to teach us to make good decisions so that we stay safe. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a couple of verses here, verse 23. It says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. That's not saying go try and get some other person's money, but it's talking about seeking good things for other people. And so being spirit-filled, being set free from the law, all things are lawful for us. We can go out and do whatever we like, but there are an awful lot of things which are no good for us, which will not help us grow in the Lord, which will instead pull us away from the Lord. And we need to develop that discernment to be able to tell what's good and what's not. Um, We'll skip over to Galatians chapter 5 to just look at a few of those things. Galatians 5, verse 
Um, because the world is a distracting, enticing place. You know, as natural people, there's lots of natural things out there that um, look good, look enticing. Um, depending on the stage that you are in your life, those things that are enticing are probably quite different for you, for someone who's 30 years younger or 30 years older. But there's always going to be something natural that's enticing and that's not necessarily good for you, not expedient. So Galatians 5, we'll just have a look in verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of old English words in there that don't make a lot of sense to me. They probably don't make a lot of sense to you as well. So from the, the New Living Translation, I think it brings it out in more modern language. It makes more sense. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division, envying, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so all of these things can be tempting at times. You, know, you may not be tempted today to get into some murdering, but maybe someone really upsets you tomorrow and that's where you feel like going. You know, or maybe, you know, it's, it's interesting to, you know, we tend to hone in on things like sexual immorality and drunkenness and, and partying and those sorts of things because they're the very, I guess they're the more obvious things that people get drawn away by. But if you look at the other things in this list, you know, things like wrath and, and arguing and dissension, division, you know, the Lord lumps division in with those same, you know, things like, you know, murdering and sexual immorality. If we're creating division in the fellowship, if we're treating people, you know, differently based on some natural aspect of themselves so that we create division, we're, you know, we're clearly going down the wrong path as well. So we need to be really aware of these things and be listening to God's instruction about, you know, where to stay safe and what things to avoid. Because obviously God as our Father wants us to keep us safe. But he also still has given us free will so that we can make our own choices. And with that, those choices comes, at times, a bit of discipline and a bit of chastisement. So I'm going to look at a few scriptures about that. So let's go to Hebrews 12. I think I can fit these in before my time's up. Pastor Phil says I can just keep talking. I'll even, probably the first time ever, actually have a drink of water during a talk, so I can keep talking. Rather than forgetting about it until the end. So Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, we'll read here. It says, But you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And that's us. I mean, none of us have really suffered physical 
violence. None of us have been, you know, martyred. Well, you wouldn't be here if you'd been martyred. Um, but if you look at some of the things that the, the early church went through, none of us have, have copped that level of, of persecution in our lives. But going on in verse 5, and it says, But you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastity the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, therefore all are, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We showed them respect. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us up after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Therefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees." And so part of God is what he's doing in terms of raising us as children is, is discipline. Is, you know, when we're doing the wrong thing, we'll get a rap over the knuckles. We'll get put on the naughty step. We'll get some discipline coming our way. And that, and that comes in lots of different forms. It might just be that you know, um, the Lord puts it on you know, the heart of whoever's you know, giving the word that week to bring out something that, you know, that you know, just gives you that tap to go, no, what you're doing there isn't right, you need to come back around. Or it might be through the gifts. Or it might be something, you know, more serious, you know, Pastor Phil or one of the other oversight might come and have a chat and say, look, you know, that way you're behaving is not acceptable. And this is part of being in the family of God and teaching us to live by God's rules in his house. And it's interesting it talks, you know, in verse... Eight, it says, but if you be without chastisement, whereof are, you, are all partakers, then are you bastards and not sons? We have a choice whether we take the chastening and the discipline of the Lord. And it's that age-old kind of my house, my rules standard. And like with all children, there's some children that get to a point where they go, I really don't want to you know, follow my parents' rules anymore and I'm leaving. And... Most of us have been walking the Lord for quite some time and we see people do that. They don't want to follow God's instruction. They don't want to partake. They don't, they're not willing to accept the discipline of God and so they, they leave us and they go elsewhere. And that's unfortunate for them. But we aren't going to change the standard that we have as a fellowship, as a fellowship that is responsible for helping to raise God's children. And God certainly is not going to change his standards because it's God's house and God's rules. You know, whether, you, whether you like it or not, we need to accept the discipline that God has for us because he's doing it out of love. It talks there about how, you know, in verse 9, it says, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. In verse 10 they did it after their own pleasure you know as a father who you know has is still in the process of raising children it's no fun to correct them but you're doing what you see as being right at the time you see as you know 
this is what we have to do to raise good children. And, and you know, if you look around the whole gamut of parenting in our society, there's a whole spectrum of the way that people do that from really well to not at all and really poorly. But God's, you know, as a perfect father, gets it right. You know, sometimes it's a very gentle correction and sometimes it has to be a bit more forceful depending on what we're doing and what our attitude is at the time. Um, have a look at the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As the, when Paul wrote his letters to the Corinthian church, when Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church, the church there at Corinth was in a mess. There was all sorts of, of inappropriate behaviour going on that just wasn't acceptable to God. And he points out very clearly how the church should have been dealing with it, but at the time they weren't. And we'll read the scriptures first and then I'll make some comments about it. So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 will start. It says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, the one should have his father's wife. So really serious immorality was going on in the church and it was being tolerated. And Paul points this out and says, you know, you're supposed to be holding yourselves up to a higher standard, but you're doing things that not even the unsaved people accept out there. What's going on? In verse 2, and he says, You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the instruction here was to say, this person that's doing the wrong thing, put them out of your fellowship. And it's the spiritual equivalent of... When Tom wheezes on the rug in the, in the lounge room, he gets put outside so we can learn that that behaviour is not acceptable. You know, or when your child is playing with some other kids and they hit somebody, they get taken away and they get put in a timeout to say, look, that behaviour is not acceptable. You can't do that here. And this is the spiritual equivalent of it in the fellowship. When people behave in a way that's not acceptable to God, the scriptural instruction is to put that person out of the fellowship for a time so that they can one, see that their behaviour isn't acceptable, and two, that they can make a choice about are they going to change their behaviour and do things which are acceptable to God and be back in the fellowship, or are they going to just go, well, I'm going to keep doing that, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. It's their choice to make in that situation. And so there's not a lot of churches that actually implement this, this scriptural standard. A lot of churches, you know think that it's too harsh to tell people that they're not welcome in the fellowship for a while. And so bad behaviour gets continued and it gets worse. And, you know, all sorts of unhelpful things happen. But as a fellowship, we, we implement this standard to make sure that in God's house, no one's weeing on the carpet. That people are behaving in a way that's acceptable in God's house. It's not a and, it's, and if you look at it that way, it's just it's a natural consequence of you know, keeping and maintaining acceptable behaviour. We do it with our own children, we do it with training our pets, we do it with all sorts of things, so we do it in the house of God as well. 
Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, because there's a, a second part to this story. So obviously some time has passed between Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth and his second. And thankfully the, the dressing down that he gave the church at Corinth was, was taken to heart. They, you know, they, they saw the errors that they were making and they made changes, which was great. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. And it's talking about this same person that was um, behaving immorally when the first letter was written and was put out of the fellowship. In verse 6, it says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, that you all told him he wasn't welcome in the fellowship with that behaviour. Verse 7, So that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage for us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And so this person had been put out of fellowship They'd seen the error of their ways, they'd changed their behaviour, and now Paul was encouraging the fellowship to welcome that person back in, forgive them. You know, he starts off in verse 5, he says, If any have caused grief, he's not grieved me, but in part, that I might overcharge you all. He said, He didn't really cause me grief, but obviously there were people in the fellowship there who were hurt by his actions. But he's encouraging them to forgive and to welcome that person back in and to uphold them in the love of God so that, you know, they get established back in the fellowship and they continue to behave appropriately in the house of God. And that's, you know, while it may seem harsh for people to put out a fellowship, it's an act of love to ensure that that person's behaviour is acceptable to God. Because if you're in the fellowship behaving in a way that is not acceptable to God, when the Lord returns, there's no benefit to you being in the fellowship. You're not going to be raised up to meet the Lord in the air. But if you are put out and you can see that you need to change and you do, then you will be raised up and the fellowship is then of benefit to you again. And that's why it's done that way. It's not harsh, it's just God's way of teaching through the fellowship and, and teaching his people. Um, let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3. Final scripture. It's not the penultimate. I guess this makes it the ultimate scripture. Second right, Timothy chapter three. So obviously, there's. I've only I've touched on a few aspects of the way that God is is training us. There's lots of other things that He's training us with as well. But you know, don't want to be. Well, shouldn't say we don't want to be here all day. I can't talk for that long. Um, but there's lots of things the Lord is training us to do. You know, he trains us to, to, to preach the word and to take it out. And I think about that when I look at Tom, when you take him down to the sheep yards, he just wants to run straight at the sheep and wants to start barking at him and pushing him around and he's really forceful. And so I'm going to have to teach him to keep his distance a bit, to move around, to keep the sheep all together. And it's the same when you know we start witnessing at times. Sometimes when you first start preaching the gospel, you can be a bit too 
gung-ho and a bit too forceful with people. And the Lord teaches us to, and, and he uses the other people in the fellowship to teach us to just, you know, just back off a little bit, be a bit more gentle, a bit less repent or perish, and a bit more listen to people and, you know, kind of strike up a conversation rather than just trying to force the word of God down their throat, whether they're listening or not. There's all those sorts of things that the Lord is teaching us over time. And we all will learn the more we spend time with God and the more we listen and the more we practice those things. And it all takes time. And it takes a few years to train a good sheepdog. It takes a few years to train a good child of God. But we never stop getting trained. Because if you think about, think about professional sports people, they have all these basics of the way that they play sport. Like an AFL player, needs to, they need to be able to kick and to handball and to mark the ball. And even though they might have been playing professionally for 10 or 15 years, when they go to training, they're kicking and handballing and marking the ball. They're, they're going over those basics again and again and again to make sure that they, they stay you know, fresh and to, to keep their skills up. And that's what the Lord's doing with us as well. We're forever going over the basics to keep our skills up and to, to keep our listening ears on, to be attentive to what God say to us, to, to keep spending that time with him, to have that bond, all those sorts of things. The basics never stop being taught to us. Second Timothy chapter 3, while we're there, because I asked you to go there, verse 12. And it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learnt them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so the encouragement here is to keep up with your training all the time. Keep up with those basics. Keep going back to the simple things. And if you find that you're feeling distant from God, then chances are you're not spending enough time on your knees in prayer, reading the scriptures, in fellowship. So do more of that. Get that bond stronger again. You know, if there's... If you find that you're being disciplined a lot, you probably need to practice your listening and your hearing and your following God's instruction a bit more. Because God, until the Lord returns, we are always going to be God's little children. We're never going to be God's adult kids who've left home. That's not where we get to in this life. That happens next, I guess. But the Lord is a good father. We have a fellowship, thankfully, which is an attentive, nurturing mother as it were, spiritually, which is a rare thing in this world. Um, so let's you know, appreciate that, do our best to you know, help others around us to, to keep up their training and keep up those good behaviours that the Lord wants from us. And you know, the Lord meet the Lord in the air, which is the whole point of this. I'll leave the scriptures there.